0: This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raftopoulos. How are we, Johnny?
1: ha! Oh, we're in heaven, aren't we, Dan? Uh, it's been 57 years since it was a grand old flag in Land, and we've got a shot to make that, that drought disappear, but uh, we've got a very worthy opponent as well in the Western Bulldogs who, you know... We were all very happy to see them break through about you know, 2016, and yeah, it's going to be a great grand final, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A lot to look forward to, but yeah, the two weeks is a bit annoying, but I guess it's one other thing you've got to deal with, eh?
1: Not a massive fan of it. Um, I think look, we're just going to have to wait and see how it goes to make any real judgments on it, but yeah, at this stage, I could probably do without it.
0: Yeah. Just the waiting game for now. Yes. So yes. anything in particular catch your eye over the weekend?
1: Yeah. Look, there's no, there's n- no ignoring it really. This, it was the, it was the results in both games. It was just, and it was the emphatic performances in both those games by the winning teams, Melbourne on Friday night, uh, coming out and d- doing what they did, uh, just manic pressure early and almost upstage the next night by the Bulldogs, i got to say, uh, just their relentless pressure on the ball carry at the start uh port really just didn't have any answer for it and yeah I, I was i think we were all absolutely shocked by what we were seeing and yeah when was the last time something like this happened in, in prelim week then
0: i'm not exactly sure but i think they did say it was the biggest combined margin ever for the two prelim games so <laughs> incredible it, uh, Yeah, it doesn't happen that often. There can be one prelim that's a little bit one-sided, but uh, I guess, yeah, once you get broken in such a big game, it can all just sort of capitulate, and especially when you've got the team finding, you know, something close to their best level against you. It can all go pretty south pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, so... We've got a fair bit to get through, obviously. Lots to relive with both prelims. I guess we'll be spending a little bit more time dissecting the Melbourne-Geelong game. But uh, plenty to talk about. And uh, I think we'll save most of the grand final preview for next week, soon as we have two shows before the grand final. But yeah, just uh, any just very initial thoughts on the fact that it's going to be a Melbourne versus Western Bulldogs grand final, obviously. Over in WA at Optus Stadium
1: Yeah uh, <laughs> Look, I try not to inject too much of my personal uh, Fandom into it But uh, after Friday night, obviously Yeah, we're all in 7th heaven And uh, Saturday morning was just bliss And really enjoyable day Then around about 7.55pm <laughs> That night <laughs> <laughs> just came back down to it a little bit uh with that first quarter from the bulldogs just thought to myself oh right yeah that's right um and i did for that yeah for that moment i was a bit scared i did so, i'd flip-flopped a bit on who i wanted to play i think in the last two days leading up to the game i kind of settled on port i thought they're very talented we know great but we also knew what we were going to get a bit the bulldogs i've just felt had this little bit of a unpredictable side to them and they seem to thrive on this backs to the wall stuff but uh, that's those were just my thoughts then and partially now that can change a bit as well so th- those were my feelings i thought geez the Bulldog- when the bulldogs got through i was a little bit little bit scared <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it was funny like going into the game i wasn't really that sure which uh, which team I'd rather play but yeah I think the Bulldogs in a knockout final and just how their game matches up against Melbourne I think they do have the capacity to hurt Melbourne in a way that maybe some of the other teams don't and we'll probably get into that more at a later point but they're definitely a dangerous opponent and uh, yeah I think there was a lot of Thought after the Melbourne Geelong game that you know no matter what happened in the next game, Melbourne was going to be firm favourites and they probably still are. But yeah, it's uh, definitely setting up to be a very competitive game and by no means is a uh, you know you still got to win it. And uh, even though Melbourne were dominant, the Dogs were almost equally dominant. So uh, yeah, it should be a really interesting game. Whatever happens
1: yeah I mean yeah like I said you, I was flip flopping a lot. there were times in the last couple of weeks where I felt Bulldogs would be a a nice one to play. I think we I like, play after playing them twice this year. we know a bit more about their their recipe and their style uh and you know we match up quite well on each other um but yeah i'm I'm not sure it was just this I think after the the Brisbane game, I just started thinking, well, gee, this could be. This could be just one of those spanner in the works that uh, you don't see coming, but uh, look, having said all this, let's not pretend that it was going to be easy if Port got through either. Like, let's not pretend that was the that was the um, no, the bloopy. No. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I think most Melbourne supporters would have been probably happier to play Port in terms of thinking it would be a slightly easier game in terms of a matchup. But yeah, either way, it would have been difficult, and uh, they're there so their every chance to go on and win it, but the Dogs are definitely a formidable opponent. So uh, let's get into the prelims, eh? Yes. So we've got a few different things to do with this first one, Melbourne versus Geelong. Geelong, And uh, so we've got a very brief recap of each quarter. Uh, We'll probably talk around that a little bit. Then we've got the top five plays, some absolute beauties to get through there. A lot of them were in that third quarter, which kind of turned Pretty crazy at one point. And then just some questions out of the game. And then we'll talk a bit about the Bulldogs and Port as well. So let's go to quarter number one. So it was actually the Cats who managed to kick the first goal, but Melbourne were managed, were able to hit back pretty hard with three quick ones of their own to Ben Brown, Harms, and Neil Bullen. And when Petrarca managed to grab it, Out of the hands of Radaglia and Stroll into goal, things were looking pretty worrying for the Cats. And another goal to finish the quarter to Spargo saw Melbourne take a 27-point lead into quarter time. I guess the only concern at this point, really, was May, with a tight hamstring, seemed to tweak it in a contest with Hawkins where he kind of got pushed out partially. But, yeah, absolutely amazing start to this game for Melbourne.
1: Yeah, um... I don't want to waste too much time on this, but uh, that was that, that was an interesting moment when May got the little hammy twinge. Uh, and I don't know if I should be admitting this, but I actually had a, a Stephen May injury scare of my own <laughs> around that time. Uh, actually, just before the game started. Um, you know, we briefly chatted before the game, uh, Dan, and uh, yeah, we then went off to get ready and watch the pregame. Uh, I decided to... Um, to sort of crank up some, uh, pump up music that I usually like to go to (laughs) for before moving games, And, uh, I found myself really getting into it and jumping around the room. And the next thing I knew, I, when I landed on one of my jumps, my heel was a bit closer to the wall than I thought it was. And I ended up rolling my ankle outwards and (laughs) hearing a bit of a pop. And yeah, that was, that was really scary for a moment. I thought, Oh God, what have I done? What have I done? Um, it took a while. It, 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 it's not bad. I've also escaped serious injury like Stephen. Um, it's it's a bit bruised and that, but yeah, just rolled it. <laughs> that was very your body silly. on the line. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> but um, back to me. Uh, when that happened, I, I honestly felt a massive sense of deflation out of me straight away to the point where I think Petrarca hit the goal straight after that. I, I actually, I wasn't even that fussed about it. I just, um, I'd sat down for the first time in the whole game, which was, it was only the first quarter, but I just, I don't know. Did did you feel any, a little bit like that, Dan, did you feel like Stephen May just seems to be one of these, I guess, talisman type figures that if he was to go down, we're going to lose quite a lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I suppose you didn't quite know how bad it was at that point, but it didn't look good. And it seems like he probably will uh, be able to make the recovery, particularly with the two-week turnaround. But, yeah, he did look pretty dejected. And I didn't think it was necessarily going to cost them in this game just because of how well Melbourne was playing. And they were already up by a fair bit at that point. Like, it wasn't going to make it easy not having him, but I thought they would be able to cover him. But, yeah, just that realization that, you know, if they do make it through to the grand final, he might not be there. And... uh, That yeah. was that was what
1: I thought too. The realization of, oh, we're gonna go in with him, yeah,
0: yeah. So it was it was scary. I'm sure for him as well, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, it was heartening to see he did manage to come back on the ground, even if he didn't do a whole lot. And it seems like it all's well that ends well. But uh, yeah, it was a weird sequence of events where he just sort of, I don't exactly know how the little contest with Hawkins and the sort of push out actually contributed to that, but. Yeah, it was not great, <laughs> but I, think- I guess it kind of... The fact that Melbourne was already up by a fair bit made it maybe not quite as bad as it could have been just in terms of how big an impact you thought it would have on the game.
1: No, and I think had it been later in the game, had it been, say, third quarter, he would have been subbed out straight away, precautionary, and yeah, that wouldn't have been an issue. Uh, as for where it happened, I think in that sort of slight shove that Hawkins gave him, I I felt like he... um. I don't know how to describe it, but I thought I actually thought it was back related, like back in hamstring where yeah, they, they might have that, yeah. landed. Yeah, and, and the instant reaction is for the hamstring to tighten and yeah, your back seizes up a little bit. Um that's what I thought. And actually that kinda gave me a little bit of hope that it wasn't a, a full-on hemi tear. Um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah.
0: So we talked in the previous episode last week, the fact that uh, you know, we'd kinda know with Melbourne pretty early and if they could get their pressure up, then I was giving them... I think the percentage I quoted was about 80% chance of winning. And I think really early in the game, it was obvious that that pressure was definitely there. And it was they were going to make everything really quite difficult for Geelong here.
1: It was there right from the very first bounce, in. There's no doubt about that.
0: Absolutely. And that was, I guess, the catalyst to them being able to hurt Geelong through stoppage. So I'm not sure how many of these first five... Goals were in this first quarter were from stoppage, but it was at least three. Was, yeah. they were, they were doing some. <laughs> yeah, they're just making Geelong look pretty second rate. Even though Geelong were winning a few clearances, the quality of clearances going each way were poles apart.
1: Yeah, and it scores from stoppage is it's become the thing now, isn't it? That's the main way to score, I reckon. Well, it it kind of gives you the most open look
0: at the game at the moment teams are getting so good at defending that I guess when you've got your little stoppage set up and you might even have the six, six, six that you can kind of, uh, manipulate the ground in a way that it's pretty hard. Once the ball gets into open play, I guess we talked about this a little bit yes. in that Bulldogs and game where the Bulldogs are getting absolutely torched on stuff stop- from stoppage and yeah. saying, you know, can you actually play a game like this where you can score so much from stoppage? And, uh, I think there was a few contributing factors to this why Melbourne scored so much from stoppage in this game, not least of all that Geelong couldn't really do anything once they when they actually had the ball, which kind of just meant they didn't really have that many chances to actually score from turnover, just the way Geelong was playing. Yeah, it often yeah. was just going back into stoppage instead of actually into open play. But, yeah, it, it is interesting that the scores from stoppage particularly through this final series and the latter half of the year just seems to be such a big thing now.
1: Yeah, I certainly didn't expect it to be as big of a thing, but um, yeah, teams are setting up well for it and everyone's looking for that edge on the stoppage now, especially the forward 50 stoppage. Uh, and Yeah, you want to be defending them very, very well because the moment someone's free, like a Bontempelli or a Petrarca, at the back of the contest, yeah, it's it's danger.
0: Absolutely. So let's go to the second quarter now. So Geelong actually did manage to kick two of the first three goals in this second quarter here. But from there, a lot of those were pretty much straight out of the center. From there, Melbourne really did settle back into their groove and getting the game completely back on their terms with their good defensive structure and really taking Geelong's game away from them. And it was goals to Sparrow, Gorn and Pickett that extended lead out to about 40 points before Geelong did manage to get the last two of the quarter where they did control the play a little bit and got yeah. a couple of free kicks as well. And uh, I guess the 29-point halftime lead in a game that really looked like Melbourne had absolutely dominated yep. maybe slightly unders, but I really wasn't worried at this point just how the game was panning out. And even though the, the lead was only 29 points, it seemed like a healthy lead against a Geelong side playing the way they were? Uh,
1: Look, I definitely agree with my head there. Um, (laughs) I think that's a really wise way to put it then. Uh, Unfortunately, I was definitely a lot more pessimistic. I felt like, yeah, we'd thrown everything we had at them in that first half or second quarter and... I know it was asking a lot, but I just felt like we really had to make the most of our chances. And I think we missed three in a row towards the end there yeah. with Fritta, Petrarca and Brown maybe. And both then,
0: all of those weren't easy shots. They and weren't easy they, shots. No. That was when when they got out to about forty, they had three more shots to yeah, drive the knife in a little bit further and they couldn't do it. I wasn't surprised at any of those misses.
1: No, I was not I wasn't either.
0: Nope. Melbourne don't really make many of those type of shots
1: in general. If they did, if they made all three of those, you'd think, "Whoa, gee, that's that's different." Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I wasn't surprised. Uh, I w- I think at the time I was just thinking I would have loved at least one of them, and yeah, yeah. I just felt like a five goal lead at halftime. I kept. It's it's hard to forget that came three weeks ago at uh, GMHBA <laughs> Stadium, and I just I just had this feeling of. We're gonna if we go in after halftime, if Geelong kicked the first after halftime, then it's a game. All of a sudden it is yeah. actually a game again. So I had no idea what was happening next. But generally, if I was speaking with my heart of hearts, oh well deep down inside, I would have I was pretty happy with it. I was definitely yeah. happy to take that. If you take if you took the scoreboard away
0: and you just looked at how Melbourne was playing, they basically completely taken Geelong's game off them. Yeah. Like, they barely had any marks. They couldn't control the ball. Sure, they were winning a few stoppages, but even then, they weren't really damaging our stoppage. They couldn't really transition the ball either. Melbourne had just completely taken yeah. their game away from them. So I guess, yeah, they, they found a way to score a couple of goals, but to me, Melbourne was in complete control. That they- And like, a couple of my friends who were... Geelong supporters were basically resigned to the loss after you know that first quarter. Like They've seen plenty of these finals losses, and they could see the painting was on the wall. So yeah, yeah although yeah, it wasn't yeah. a match, although it wasn't a match winning lead, I think the yeah the writing was on the wall that Melbourne were all over them.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, some of those goals Geelong got towards the end of the second quarter, uh, they were good ones. Like Reece Stanley's uh, contested mark was pretty impressive. Uh I think Smith kicked the other one. Uh, that, that was So it was Hawkins, Hawkins and Smith both set shot. Hawkins and Smith. Yeah. When was Stanley's? Was that earlier
0: in the quarter? Stanley's was early in the third, I think. <coughs> early in Actually the th- it was somewhere. Maybe it was early in the f- early in the
1: second. Yeah, S- I think that was somewhere in there. Um <laughs> so look, those were good bits of play, but in hindsight you look back at it there probably wasn't any need to be really worried. I mean, how often were they going to take packed marks like that? against the against the air back line. Yeah. Yeah, no,
0: I do remember now. That was early in the second because um that was um when May had come back on the ground and that was kind of his first contest and he didn't quite get up for it. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so let's move to the third quarter now. So <laughs> this is where it all gets pretty interesting and we're get, gonna have a lot of plays from this quarter in uh the top five plays but Started with an absolutely pure centre clearance to Melbourne that led to a uh, mark on the lead from uh, Ben Brown taking it at its highest point. And, uh, yeah, in a flash, they were out to that six-goal lead. And then from the four-to-21-minute mark, Melbourne went on an absolute rampage, kicking another seven goals. And some of these goals were just absolutely ridiculous, as we'll get to in that five-play rundown. But this included Gorn kicking four goals for the quarter, and uh, yeah, this eight goal to zip third quarter absolutely drove the knife in and got the lead out to be on 70 points. And even the most pessimistic of Melbourne supporters would have said the game was over at that point. <laughs>
1: absolutely. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, it j honestly, I just, I was more excited. I was, I was cheering every goal, even when we were 50 points plus, I was cheering so hard for pretty much everything. It was, it was that good. Um, But, yeah, you're right. Uh, We got to three-quarter time. There was a lot more relaxing. uh, And the fourth quarter was uh, just, you know, I think I described it as uh, the Champs-Élysées League of the Tour de France. (laughs) Uh, It's a foregone conclusion. It was just sit back and enjoy it. Have a nice little bike ride around uh, Paris.
0: It was absurd how easily they made some of these goals look, especially gone, like a snap out of the stoppage, some of their connection out of clearance just everything they were touching was turning to gold, even McDonald got on the end of one with a nice 40 metre snap yep. after a centre clearance just everything was working and <laughs> that the goal's accuracy been glossed was there too as
1: well, by the way, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt him, but that has been really glossed over, that's a great goal from Team mac
0: <laughs> this is just a magic quarter that you could bottle for any D supporter, so just the amount of great goals and uh, dominant play here is quite crazy, and it just split open in this fifteen-minute period where Melbourne just went on an absolute tear.
1: Just going back to the mids and how sort of in sync they were. Uh, yeah, I've watched that quarter again and just really paid attention to the stoppages and how, our, like, guys in the middle are set up and that. And it's almost like telekinesis or something. I don't, I don't know what to describe it with, but. They're just so quick reaction time thinkers now. Like uh, someone like Petrarca might have the ball for two seconds, and all of a sudden he's now just handballing over his shoulder to Oliver, and just instinctively knowing he's there. Same with Viney, and and it all happens so quickly. It's lightning fast, and this is this is the this is the thing about midfielders. Sometimes it's not always about pure leg speed, although it helps. It helps to have that off-the-mark speed to break away from stoppage. But the speed of ball movement is just as good, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know whether it's the patterns or whatever, but you're right. They look like they know exactly where each other is yeah. going to be, and they're much more willing to actually hold onto the ball for a little bit longer, take a few more steps, and then yes. the there's also someone who's going to be running alongside, and instead of taking that pressurised kick, they're actually hitting that little handball over the top or whatever it is um, to get the guy out in the open. And it's just making those inside 50 kicks so much more dangerous.
1: And and this happens when your confidence is high as well. You, you just get that split second of extra sharpness and breaking out of a contest and, you know, Oliver taking a few extra steps and uh, you know, it's a, it sometimes might be high risk taking it on. And if you get pinged, you you know, at least you took the risk. Well, they're taking pretty much all those risks at the moment and no one's laying a glove on them. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to watch, yeah, having it. basically
0: close to like an all-Australian midfield and they're all just connecting that well.
1: Yeah.
0: And as you alluded to there, Johnny, uh, the sting had gone out of the game, any game it would, when the game uh, when the margin is this big. Uh, so... One thing that did catch my eye in the last quarter was with about 10 minutes to go, uh, Goodwin called all of uh, his aces off the field, I suppose. So he had Gorn, Oliver, Petrarca, and Lever all sitting on the bench and, of course, May had been subbed out. So they had an all-Australian bench <laughs> just sort of soaking it in, having a bit of a laugh. It was quite a sight to see Loved it. those guys all sitting on the bench together. Loved it. Job done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, It's the ultimate luxury, I suppose. But yeah, it just really stood out. Like, how often would you see (laughs) five all Australians sitting on the bench together? It was quite amazing. Oh
1: yeah, that's a it's a sight, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, I really liked the way that these guys handled it as well after the siren. I didn't think they were too over the top. I definitely didn't think Simon Goodwin was over the top at all. He seemed to just be, no, it's another game. Yeah, I really liked, they celebrated obviously, but this is a very level-headed team.
0: Yeah, you could tell they were really proud of what they'd accomplished, but there was definitely no over-celebrating, there was no job done, they know it's just one step, but it was obviously a very important step, and uh, yeah, a lot of the post-game stuff was great, the way they talked about, you know, the journey they've been on, and the fact that the Victorian supporters can't be there and all this sort of stuff. I mean, yeah, it stuck all the, struck all the right notes and it definitely smacks of a team that knows the job's not done yet.
1: Yeah, um, I did notice Kane Corns. Who I, look, I do like Kane Corns' views quite more often than not. But I did notice that he pointed out that, I think I might have been in the third quarter with Clayton Oliver, pointing to the scoreboard and... and suggesting that might have been getting ahead of ourselves or whatever um situations like that you don't know what's happening on the field if someone's taunting you and they're down by 70 points i think you've got every right to point to the scoreboard that's just my opinion um it's the ultimate it's the ultimate leveler in life is uh the scoreboard of life as well so I don't think there's any problem with things like that. I don't. I wouldn't see that as a big-headed sort of move and Hollywood and all that. What, what, what did you think then?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't mind that at all. Like, you see it pretty often throughout the season, and you know, how often over the years has
1: Geelong beaten up on Melbourne. I think yeah. that was
0: that was blown out of proportion.
1: Didn't bother me at all. I, I thought it was totally blown out of proportion. And once again, I don't. I don't think he understood what was happening. He may have gotten some kind of taunt from whoever the, I can't even remember who the Geelong player was, but, you know, usually pointing to the scoreboard is a reaction to something that's been said.
0: All right, so just a couple of uh, stats to have a look at before we get into the five best plays. So... Inside 50 efficiency, 56 to 26. So, yeah, Cats couldn't do anything when they were going inside 50. I guess that just shows how well Melbourne was setting up and not letting them have the looks they wanted, taking their game away from them. But on the other hand, Melbourne was super effective inside 50. Won the contested possession by 30. Uh, Clearances were relatively even, as I referenced before, even though... Longer getting clearances, a lot of them were sort of just hacked forward and were mopping up around half back. Um, marks did even up a bit 88 to 57. I think in the first half it was a lot lower. I guess they would have got a few in that last quarter when the heat went out of the game. Marks inside 50, though, 16 to 5, so mm. that was a pretty big discrepancy. Yes, and the biggest yeah, one of massive. all 101 points from stoppage to Melbourne, the fourth most in history. <laughs>
1: Crazy. Absolutely crazy.
0: So, what do you think about that? Like the fact that Melbourne didn't actually score much from turnover in this game. What do you put that put that down to? Or is it just one of those anomalies?
1: I think it is probably more an anomaly than anything. I just this was a game. Yeah, we really did break even in those centre clearances, and I guess all sorts of clearances. And really, when when we speak about this a lot, we, we do say how we go a bit more defensive at those at those stoppages especially the center ones and you know we're happy to just try and win the ball back but there were a lot of crucial moments where we were just winning it out of the middle with good good old contested ball
0: and i guess maybe part of it what i was saying before as well is just because melbourne were rendering geelong so uh well, they're basically taking the game away from them. There wasn't actually as many chances to get the ball off them and score just because of the way the game was actually looking.
1: And as you've said before, Dan, as when you kick a goal, you go back to the centre.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Next chance. Yeah. All right. Top five plays. There's some pretty good ones here. Uh, I'll go through them in chronological order. So yes. first quarter, at this point, it's three goals to one in Melbourne's favour. And there's a forward 50 stoppage, Radical Air going up in the ruck, and he actually manages to palm it down. And uh, he basically tries to win the ball on the ground as well, so he's got hold of it. But uh, Track gets over to the contest as well, and I think Pickett is around the same position, but with strength, Track basically just grabs it away from him and starts running towards goal, uh, balks around an opponent, and from the top of the square, nonchalantly knocks it through so that was really powerful
1: (laughs) Made that, yeah he made it look pretty easy just sort of walked in and juked around and that was it
0: yeah so plenty of goals from stoppage in this first quarter and uh, that was probably the best of them
1: oh yeah definitely and you know Pickett did have a hand in that and he was really on early didn't get it I think he might have had five touches in the first quarter but uh, a ton of score involvements
0: all right, next play, number two. Let's go to the second quarter now. So at this point, it's seven goals to three. And Petrarca, again, has the ball about 70 meters out. And he goes for a spot-up kick to Gorn. So hasn't been his strong suit, these sort of kicks. But this one's really nice. Although it does get the faintest of touches on the way through to Gorn. And uh, I'm not sure whether the umpire actually called touched. But Gorn saw it was touched and played on straight away after marking 40 out and about a 45 degree angle. And, uh, yeah, as quick as he could, got on the run, arcing around onto the right boot and sinking his big slipper into it and uh, hit it very sweetly and celebrated almost immediately.
1: Well, even if the umpire did call play on, I think Max was too quick in his attempt to play on (laughs) for the ump to call it play on. He knew exactly what he was going to do with that as soon as he got it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, fantastic goal, that one.
0: It was a great kick to him on the lead, and he had a metre or two on his opponent, I suppose, so yep. he knew he had a bit of space to play on. But, yeah, when uh, Gordon's doing stuff like that, you're probably not going to be winning the game
1: against no. him. No. No, sensational. <laughs> All
0: right, and uh, next one, number three, first centre bounce of the third quarter after half time. So, remember, 29 points probably should have been a little bit more but Gorn wins the ball down to the defensive side, and uh, it's actually the Cats who get the ball first, but Melbourne managed to strip it off them, and it's actually Petrarca striding away, and he goes for a handball over the head to find Oliver, and in full stride, he manages to kick long and high to Ben Brown, who marks at its highest point, and he's able to convert the set shot from straight in front. Beautiful way to start the quarter there.
1: I loved this goal. I actually think, personally, for me, I thought this was the most important goal of the game, but that's just my opinion. Uh, you're right. I think Duncan got his hands on it straight away, and, uh, yeah, we were on to him straight away. He got a he got a real scruffy handball out and was turned over. Uh, Petrarca up to Oliver. and I, I love this kick from Oliver. He just seems to get a lot more weight behind his kicks now, and Gabe Brent Benny Brown the best chance to, to mark it at the highest point. And, yeah, he kicked truly I thought it was a, a beautiful start to the quarter.
0: It's a bit of a sign of things to come because the last two of the plays, top five plays, are coming in this third quarter as well. So now we go to a point where it's 11 goals to five and it's gone again, winning it straight down, this time to Viney in the centre, who manages to flick it out to Petrarca, who takes... 10 yes i counted them 10 powerful steps running away from the stoppage before releasing to who but the running gone he's in all sorts of space and he makes full use of this as he lumbers towards the edge of the center square he's going pretty quickly for a big guy though and uh yeah he sees it all open in front of him and from about 55 he launches a huge kick that flies through the goals and uh Again, if Gordon's doing stuff like this, it's not going to be a day.
1: The, yeah, this goal's insane. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Um, I just, yeah, that, I was jumping up for joy. Oh, it was it was just incredible. Um, he, he really got onto it as well, didn't he?
0: It was a good kick. I think it basically hit the back fence from outside I, 50. So, yeah, wow.
1: I'm pretty sure it did, yeah. And, oh, And that's... You I could see it. You could see he was
0: going to go for it as soon as oh, yeah. he received. It was completely open in front of him, and he wanted to. Like they're already up by a fair bit at this point, so he just took the chance to absolutely uh, go for it and drive the nail in further.
1: Um, look, yeah, absolutely. And Jack Viney lift, lifting off the ground. Don't know how he did that. Maybe it was a bit of both, bit of a maxi jump and a Jack Viney lift. Yeah, but um. Christian Petrarca out of that stoppage uh, was something to behold, really. He honestly, I'm sure he was going a lot faster than he was, but he looked like he was just casually running and happened to be a million miles faster than anyone else.
0: Yeah, there were like two or three guys around him and he waited till the exact right moment to dish off to Gorn. So he was just completely in the clear.
1: He just didn't look like he was breaking a sweat at that point. Uh, like he could have gone up a notch if he wanted to, but <laughs> it was—it was just that much that much better.
0: And I think a short time after this, this isn't in the top five plays, but Gorn basically takes it out of the ruck near the boundary and snaps it on the right (laughs) and goes straight through the goals as well.
1: (laughs) Dan, I totally missed that goal. I looked down for a second and the next minute I looked up and the ball had gone through the goals. And I was thinking... (laughs) It happened very quickly. (laughs) Oh, That was... He he got just enough contact onto... I think it might have been Blitzers, not Stanley... Uh, I might be wrong. Correct me if I am, um, but yeah, he just got he just used his arms enough uh, within within the rules and to grab it out and yeah. And when it's your day, it's your day. He throws it on the boot. And that's it. That wasn't yep. an easy shot at all, not at all. And that was the third of his
0: fourth, and he got one marking uh, from a kick-in as well. So. Match winning. That was a great mark too. Well, I guess maybe not match winning because, <laughs> you know, Melbourne probably had already almost won it by then. But, yeah, it was an amazing quarter from uh These were all great goals.
1: Again. They were all quality goals. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: five out of five, the last goal of this run of eight by Melbourne in the third quarter. At this point, it's 16 goals to five. So from a contested situation around the 50 mark, Sparrow wins the ball and goes in quick and high to the top of the square and who's there but the shortest one of Melbourne's shortest players Pickett and he's actually got two Geelong opponents to beat but tracking the ball in the air and going out with a leap he times it perfectly and easily outmarks his two Geelong opponents before running into an open goal and slamming it through last of the eight goals in that blitz and taking the lead out to an unassailable 77 points
1: yeah. wow, <laughs> just amazing. He deserved these goals as well. He'd done so much work early on. And it was just good to see him getting his uh his rewards. But yeah. Um <laughs> two Geelong defenders there. Just uh I felt like their jaws just dropped and hit the ground as soon as that happened. They're thinking what uh like <laughs> close didn't really happened? go
0: up. He was he was kind of thereabouts, didn't really commit to it and I'm not sure who the other Defender was, but uh, yeah, just didn't quite go at it hard enough, I suppose. And yeah, yeah that's by what Cozy, yeah,
1: that's yeah, that was just it was.
0: All right, so we're getting towards the end of our wrap up here. Plenty of Melbourne content in this <laughs> one, but uh, I do have a couple of questions to round off this game's discussion. So I pose this to you, Johnny How did Melbourne dismantle Geelong in this game? Because essentially they'd completely taken their game away from them. They'd uh, tried to bring their kick mark style and it was rendered pretty much useless by what Melbourne was able to dish up here.
1: Pressure, pressure and more pressure. Harder at the ball, tackled like life depended on it. Uh, Even right up until the end, it was crazy to see some of these efforts in the last quarter when Geelong were about to get a junk time goal and they just did not want to concede. Uh, and that was just even more confidence was coming from that. Um, we didn't allow Geelong to play their game at all. We didn't really even allow them to get a clean string of possessions early. And and how many times do you see Geelong players drop marks that they'd normally swallow up? Like how guys good, like Henderson.
0: How good was the defensive structure? It just made them go along down uh, mate, the line so many times and uh, the, they just had
1: nowhere to go. The defensive structure... It's, it's finding new ways to impress me every week. I mean, he <laughs> gets Stephen May go down early. Uh, Jake Lever had a bit of a stinger at one point as well, I think, uh, in his kicking uh, yeah, action. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that came over that, his leg. Yeah, that was a little bit, a little bit of, you know, touch and go. Um, but it's shown that it's flexible. You know, to see Harrison Petty go back and just absolutely blanket Hawkins and a couple of other guys, uh, to see... Salem really go to work on guys like Gary Rowan, uh, and Hibbert was sort of sharing Cameron, and uh, I'd say at times uh, at times Rowan, maybe or something like that. But just to show the diversity as well, the the versatility. Um, if you might think you have them, if you if you've got yeah, you know, that's why I'm now starting to come around to the idea that it's probably not a great idea to tag someone like Lever because. I think that's it's a unit.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're definitely more than the sum of their parts, and yeah, Patty really stood up when May went off the ground, and he's been doing it all year. Yes,
1: he has, yes, he has improved a lot. He's definitely improved a lot. Um, yeah, I also, I, I just yeah, I can't get over some of the efforts and just the manic pressure to the end. I mean. This is a moment that not many people are probably going to talk about, but I think it was in the fourth quarter when the ball uh, came back out of Geelong's 50 onto the wing and Jed Buse just seemed to be in prime position to win the ball and James Jordan had just been on the ground maybe a minute or so. He was nowhere near it. He was nowhere near that contest. It was about a 70-30 chance Bewes was going to get it and somehow he just wheeled his way into that contest and just... Halved it, and it ended up. I think going for a boundary throw, but he almost ragdolled him there. I was thinking, I was just so pumped to see James Jordan come on and and give that kind of effort.
0: Yeah, it's great to see the depth Melbourne has now. Like to me, there really are no weak links. People talk about a bottom six, but Melbourne almost doesn't have a bottom six the way they're playing. Well,
1: if they've got a bottom six, it's easily the strongest bottom six, and yeah, they all do their role.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's talk about Geelong for a minute because uh, we know how much we like talking about Geelong on this podcast. And uh, yes. did Geelong turn up for this game? Were they up for the fight? Like, it's easy to say no, but were they actually up for the fight?
1: Were they up for the fight? This is yeah. That's a. I can't obviously speak for the whole team. I definitely think there were some players that weren't. though. I think you look at guys like. Someone like Reece Stanley, I thought he tried his heart out. He was just beaten by a completely wonder class ruckman. Um, but I, I don't think someone like uh, Joel Selwood would look back on that as one of his better games. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely things he could have done differently, both in his style in his play, but also I, I'm, I'm look, I know a lot of people do sort of rag on Selwood a bit for his style of play, but I'm actually a big Joel Selwood fan. I think he's one of my favourite captains of the last 10 years, and I wasn't impressed with his leadership on Friday night, especially when the incident with Langdon happened. I thought, look, Langdon might have put a bit of uh, sugar on that. (laughs) He may have. I don't know. We couldn't really see it, because it was out of the camera's view. But Selwood shouldn't have done it. He just shouldn't have done it. I thought it was bad leadership in the moment, and there were things like that. I I also want to take a shot at the coaching. I reckon that they they didn't get it right at all I thought they didn't capitalise on May being out at all for when he was when he went down they um they they didn't sort of uh, what am I trying to say they didn't they didn't sort of put that into their advantage it, it was like I don't know that, that
0: they could have gone quicker to try and, they, could, they could have yeah. gone
1: quicker they, they seemed to still try and control it and I, I, yeah, look, I just wasn't that impressed with, with some of those moves. Uh, you know, look, we saw we're about to get to the next game. We obviously saw a good move by uh by Luke Beveridge with uh Luke Shackey on Aaliyah. Uh they didn't really consider anything like that for Jake Lever. Uh I just, n- even if it wasn't gonna be a direct role, just uh, just something. Like they kind of let him roam. I mean, I don't know. I just didn't think, I, 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 I like Chris Scott as a coach. I just think I didn't think it was his best performance as a coaching on the big stage at all.
0: Yeah. We talked about this in our preview pod that, uh, you know, I think we both agreed that the only way Geelong was going to win this game is if they actually did take it on a bit more yeah. and, you know, go quick when they had the chance, which they do do in some of their games, they can still use their control star, but at some point you got to go quick. And, uh, I know Melbourne didn't give them any chances, but no. I didn't really see much want or will to do that at any point. So, yeah, I, they just weren't going to win this game if they didn't try and do yeah. that, I believe. And I think that's sort of what we saw.
1: Like I said, um, I don't think the whole team can fall into this category, but I definitely think there were some plays there that... Didn't give their best efforts. I mean, we spoke a little bit about Gary Rowan before. Really disappointing. Really disappointing. Some of his, his efforts in that forward 50. Yeah. Uh, just a player of that speed. I just can't believe that someone of that speed can't be continuously putting on defensive pressure Yeah. in games like this. I, I just don't quite get it. But what about, and, like,
0: if you compare their performance to what Port did, I would still say Geelong put up much more of a fight than Port oh, did.
1: Oh, with without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it'll definitely. So there's yeah, levels. We'll to that. <laughs> there's, definitely, there's definitely levels. Um, yeah, just just really disappointing. Really disappointing, some of these guys. Someone like Zach Toohey. I honestly thought Zach Toohey was going to make a big difference. I thought when he had the ball in his hands, he was going to hit targets. He was turning it up. It was just, yeah, it was crazy.
0: So I think you brought this one up, Johnny. Does Geelong's game style send a message to their group that they actually don't trust their team to win the ball back?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I did think about that. And we've spoken about their style a lot this year, if it stacks up in finals. For the most part, I've definitely been someone who I don't mind that controlled style to an extent. I like teams that value possession and want to keep the ball. Uh, but I don't know. I am just started to think that a lot lately with the trend of uh, uh, defending in transition and, and backing your 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 back line to, you know, win the ball back, I guess, much like what we've got and much like what Richmond had. Um, It just seems like a a real mindset now to have that thinking of, look, it doesn't matter. We don't mind turning over. We back you to win it back. You guys are in control back there, the back six. You can do it. We believe in you. I feel like this is almost, it's a very scared style in a way in that we must hang on to this at all costs because, We don't trust their back... We're trying to shield their back six. And, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think it's the classic chaos versus control thing, isn't it? And I don't think you're ever really going to get enough of a final played in a controlled style to actually see that work against a really high-quality opposition. And we've seen that over the last few years Geelong haven't been able to get the best of Richmond in some big finals using this style, even when they've been well up in the game. And it was for all to see, like, in this game particularly, Melbourne essentially broke Geelong's style. And uh, I think you're right. I think it is sort of sending the wrong message to their group, the fact that they have to play this way to kind of protect themselves in a certain way. and. Mm. I think there's enough evidence there to say now that it just doesn't work in finals. What we've seen over the last sort of three or four years in particular, where they've probably been doing this to the nth degree. And to me, it just doesn't work. They can't continue to play like this.
1: It just doesn't work in finals because it's, yeah, things are more manic anyway. There's always going to be more chaos. There's always going to be more speed and brutal pressure. And that, I mean, it is a fantastic home and away season style. Like, it's brilliant but I don't know I, I just think that that game on Friday night that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back I think that could be yeah just just a fork in the road yeah if I was yeah. a
0: Geelong supporter after watching that and you know the finals performances over the last 10 years I would want be wanting change I uh, me too so see what happens but I think there's going to be some very... And, like, I know some Geelong supporters are already pretty disillusioned with the way things are going. You know, they keep getting there and just aren't turning up in a lot of these games. But something's got to give. Like, you can't keep trying the same thing over and over and over. There's always going to be a team that is playing more of a scattergun approach against you. And it just doesn't stand up. They couldn't even beat Port. And look what happened to them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, look, there's always going to be... There's always going to be times when when games like that might happen, but I don't think they have to completely change their style. They can definitely take some of the key things that work for them out of it, but as it is right now, it's not it's not working. I think I heard Tom Morris say this. It's great for 75% of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I 100% agree with that. I think that's perfect, yeah. So is it time for the Cats to rebuild? They've been up for about a part of 15 years is it finally time for them to rebuild?
1: Okay. So this is slightly different take on this, I think. Um, with a rebuild, I guess you're obviously saying it's time to transition some people out, accumulate some draft picks, maybe see what we can get for some of our, I guess, um, you know, trade bait, so to speak, if we have any. Uh, I'm just speaking on the point of view for Geelong. Um... <laughs> I don't think it is, actually. Not quite. I think that it's definitely time to start transitioning a few players out. But you can't do them all at once. I I think someone like Lockie Henderson might be in a bit of trouble. But I I think there's a few over-30s there that are still playing quite good footy. And I think that there's definitely at least another year. I I do think there is another year and another shot at a flag next year. But... It's closer, the end is closer than you think, that's for sure. I think that um, they're going to have to make some decisions sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do between now and the start of next year, but yeah, I think a lot of people would be of the opinion now that they're less likely now to win a premiership than they were maybe a couple of years ago. Just the window does seem to be closing, so you know, is Dangerfield ever going to win one? Probably not. So especially just how entrenched these problems do seem. So it's going to take something huge to turn it around. Not to say they can't it's, do it, yeah. but it's going to be a seismic shift to turn this no, around.
1: I agree with that. It's going to need a much bigger job than this time last year. Uh, it's, it's The task has become harder now, I reckon. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a strange one because... They were there last year. They were in that grand final, and they identified the need. They said, we're there. We need something to put us over the top. Three first-round draft picks. Let's get Cameron in. Um, they, they have to review this pretty hard, harshly, I reckon, because looking at Jeremy Cameron, I, look, I love Jeremy Cameron, and I think he was a great acquisition, but I noticed that he took eight marks over the final series. Wow. And yeah. That's – uh. do you – do you sell the farm for that, then, <laughs> if you well, just got close to winning a flag last year? and Yeah. It is so, interesting.
0: He's one of these sort of impact players. Like, when he gets on a roll in a game, it looks like he can do, he can do almost anything. And he was like, this at GWS as well, but you know, they will have, have yeah. other games where he just goes completely out of it. So, you know, when Geelong's forward line is up and running, and this is, I guess, what we were a little bit worried about going into this game, they look a million yep. dollars, but... When the game's not on their terms, then these guys struggle. Understandably, the supply's not really there. And I don't think Jeremy Cameron is a game changer. He's one of these guys who is going to do very well when the game is on Geelong's terms. But when it's not, he's not going to be the guy that does something that changes it. That's just my
1: opinion. And just following on from that, I wasn't... I I go back to the coaching on Friday night. I wonder why Cameron... he couldn't, like, why didn't they try and get him into the game more? Why didn't they push him up the ground a bit? Are they, do they not trust him in that situation or is it, do they think like us? Do they think, oh, unless Geelong's got really good supply, then Cameron isn't really that effective. Like, it just made you think, well, what, what was in their head? Like, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I didn't get it.
0: Not sure. All right, a couple short ones on Melbourne to finish up. And we better get on to the other game we've been talking for almost an hour. But of course. It's been a lot of fun. Uh yeah, was this Melvin's best performance of the year?
1: Uh oh, 100% definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh all those stats that you mentioned, uh they don't lie. Uh Yeah, I I, I don't know any, any other game that we really dominated as much as that and had as much efficiency from uh entries inside 50. I mean, Jeez, it was it was only two years ago when we were probably the worst uh, efficiency from inside 50 team in the comp yeah we have some uh, had
0: some games of very good efficiency but I think it was just the all-round package some guys were describing this as you know the best performance Melbourne's put out there in you know the better part of 20 years so oh, it, it, it was, was just a complete, case for that complete team performance everything very, worked very much so
1: yeah uh, back line was was fantastic uh, the midfield was was brilliant uh it, Ben Brown like This is the Ben Brown that Melbourne were, were recruiting for Come last trade period, I think Getting up the ground, taking his marks Kicking straight Um, I, had, I actually thought this was one of Christian Salem's best games for the club I would almost say that it is his best game for the club He just looked like a man possessed <laughs> He actually played with some anger uh, You know, we know him as that silky smooth You know, nice passes here and there by foot, but I I was really impressed with his tackling as well. I just thought he was unbelievable. I actually I, I if I had a three to one I would have had Gorn, Petraka and then Salem. Some would have had Viney, but yeah.
0: I've noticed a real uptick in his form since Bowie's come into the team. I don't know whether it's just a bit harder for teams to actually, you know, put the work into Salem that they were doing. Some
1: I think of the there's time. something to that yeah, I think so, it definitely helps because with Bowie being such a, a good user himself by foot, they've now got to tend to him a bit more as well.
0: Yeah, so it does seem to just take a little bit of the focus off Salem. So that's definitely helping. and it's really yeah, yeah. I think that was a great move to get Bowie in when they did. Absolutely, and, uh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess he's jumped the line a little bit in that back line. He's definitely ahead of Hunt and probably Hibbert and Smith. So like... He's not going out of the team, basically.
1: No, no, he's there for the duration.
0: (laughs) All right, last one. So to see this game, I'm not even sure if we've done it justice. Just how dominant was Melbourne was in a lot of facets. Like it wasn't necessarily all on the scoreboard in that first half. They'd put enough on the scoreboard, but I think it almost that third quarter kind of almost encapsulates it. Just what they were able to do by just completely splitting it open just shows yeah. how dominant they were for the, what the you know what was actually mattering in this game they just completely took Geelong's uh plan away from them they had the best set up all over the ground so last one to end on has Melbourne's game plan broken football is this just <laughs> like the cheat code like can you actually you know is this the hack is this the hack like Melbourne uh, when they're playing like this they're basically just completely taking the opposition's game off them and you hear to talk about that in any sport what are yeah. great teams or you know sports people do they don't allow the other team to play the way they want to play and yeah. i think this game was the ultimate in- encapsulation of this we know exactly what Geelong wants to do and they just couldn't do it at all especially in that first half almost no uncontested marks it was it was just amazing
1: yeah you're absolutely right um, you look at any sport, um, you know, NFL for instance. Uh, Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, just famous for taking your best weapon off you, making you beat them with your weakest weapon, I guess. And yeah, it's in a way, it kind of has. I mean, how do you approach that? I mean, you you can do what some of the teams have done this year, like Adelaide and Collingwood, with their I guess just relentless running and quick kicking through the middle and stuff like that, but um,
0: it kind of only works yeah. when Melbourne doesn't have that pressure right up as well. But you no, know, I, I, I take your point. I take your point.
1: No, but but no, but I totally agree with you. Those are the only times that it's happened, and, and it like especially the Collingwood game, we were right off with the running and running hard and and you know just pressure and things like that. It's really only been those games when we've ever really looked like losing if it's on it's just on i can't actually think of because you you think oh yeah you don't want to kick you don't want to chip around too much because you know eventually you you might you know run into a situation where you've got to be forced to kick long down the line but then you don't want to kick long too early because you don't want to get it swallowed up by you know a mayor or lever or petty or anyone else there's no sometimes you just backed into a corner The full-ground commitment is
0: just what stands out, isn't it? Like, everyone is doing the exact right thing. And, like, I think they were completely dialed in for this prelim performance. Like, they knew they wanted to play somewhere close to their best and they all, uh, you know, they made it happen, essentially. Like, they weren't going to let this opportunity slip. And watching a team play like that and just be so clean on offense as well, like, they looked pretty much unbeatable. Like, I don't know... It would have been interesting to see, you know, Melbourne play the Bulldogs if they could have, and I guess we will get to see that. But like, I just I don't I struggle to see how a team can actually stand up to that. It's one thing what the Bulldogs did to Port, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. and It was very impressive, but just not only like the cleanness on offense, the structure defensively, just the ability to just completely render the opposition's strengths useless. Like, yeah, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, and I would love to see more down the ground footage of, of the way that we structure up because I think there's a, a lot of genius to it, really. Uh, you, you just, the way that these guys are positioned and knowing exactly where to be, it, it's making the workload part of it a lot smarter as well, and cutting angles and things like that when they're running. And I, I can't remember who said it the other day. It might have even been someone like Nathan Brown on the Sunday Footy Show, but they they almost can time their running efforts and their, their pressure efforts. It's it's not like they're running 24-7 all the time and burning out. They're able to really sort of um, pace it in a way, I guess, and give their maximum efforts when the, at the exact moment that they're needed. Um, I'd love to see more of that in, uh, you know, form of evidence. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a really smart system.
0: And I think it, it is a taxing style. So, like... It probably does make sense that they did have these little lulls during the season. You can't do this yeah. against no, it's, it's every impossible. team for the whole season. And even, like we're saying, this is another level. And, yeah, you want to bring your best, the most important games. But t- it's an extremely taxing system. And, like, they can play it and they can play it very well. But the higher the pressure, the more effective the system. So, 100%. I think the idea that, you know, they're even going to have, you know, another two weeks to actually prepare for the grand final. As long as they can, you know, have the similar preparation, they should absolutely be cherry ripe to do something very similar in terms of bringing this manic pressure and being able to do this. I don't even know what you would call it. It's this sort of full ground grid where they're just yeah. completely cutting off all the dangerous space.
1: It, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's amazing to see, really. But um, I think, look, yeah, I think we've mastered now the week off I think we know what preparation needs to be done. I think Darren Burgess has really got him dialed into you know, the fitness regime and how that's spaced out and planned, I guess. Um, yeah, I I think that we've shown now that even if the game was in a month's time, that we could probably come out and apply the pressure we did on Friday night.